0: Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of After the JAG Corps, Navigating Your Career Progression. Before I introduce today's guest, just wanted to update you on my job search. I've had some people inquiring, and I'm hesitant to make this all about me, although, as you know, that's why I started this podcast, to help me find a job. So I'll just give an update. I'm about 45 days away from retirement date, which, of course, we all know when you officially retire means you get no more paychecks and you move over to getting your retainer. And so I'm living that anxiety that so many people have spoken about. I am experiencing the ups and downs emotionally of the job search, of having what I think are solid leads go cold or prospects and have those doors shut. But then I'm also having other doors open. And It has happened this week and, uh, you know, I don't know where it's going to go, but I know that I'm going to land on my feet eventually. But it does make you sit there when these doors close and wonder, hey, am I doing my job search wrong? Am I setting my expectations high? Do I need to focus on a different area? Are my desires not matching up with what reality is? And so, you know, I'm, I'm living through all those and I guess... That is where I'm finding the value in this podcast is having spoken to so many people and having them share their experiences to know that this is normal, and I think it has given me the ability to be more resilient than I otherwise would be. I'd probably have settled for something a lot less because my desire was to be quite frankly double dipping for a couple of months, but on the flip side, this time not working has opened up the door to being with some sick family members, and last week I drove cross-country to Colorado Springs with my son, who's PCS, and out to Fort Carson. It has also caused me to start wondering whether I'm putting too much time in other interests, including this podcast. You know, every week is finding people willing to talk, and I've been so fortunate having people willing to come onto the podcast to share their experiences. Do I bring this podcast to an end because it involves setting up the guests and then conducting the conversations and then doing post-editing. So I'm probably putting five to ten hours a week into this podcast uh, that could be spent on other things. I promise I will not end it without an announcement. But for the first time since I started this project two years ago, I've been thinking about whether or not I've become stale and whether I need to end it or perhaps hand the brand off to somebody else. So again, having all these thoughts because of just where I am right now in the job search. But again, if I decide to end this podcast, I will give advance warning that it is coming to an end. I won't just drop it off one day. So just keeping you guys informed because you've been so great in your support and I appreciate it. So thank you. Now turning to today's podcast. I've been approached in the past about opening the aperture of my podcast to explore the career progression of former enlisted soldiers, Marines, airmen, and sailors who were paralegals and what they've gone on to do after they left the service. And while I certainly have known a lot of great legal men, for example, in the Navy, that's never been the focus of this podcast. I have specifically kept it narrow. To lawyers and judge advocates, because again, after all, at the end of the day, it's all about me. But today, I actually do talk to a former soldier, Lisa Lang, who, as you will hear, enlisted into the Army after graduating college and spent eight years as a soldier supporting judge advocates, and then who went on to law school and has had just as a varied career track as any judge advocate. She was in private practice. She went on and served different roles within the state government of Kentucky and has now been a university general counsel and vice president at not one, but two different colleges, one in Kentucky and one in Ohio. You'll hear in this next 30 minutes, uh, Lisa, due to quite frankly me dropping the ball and not getting the invitation out earlier, the, the interview did not get on her schedule. Nonetheless, when my message on LinkedIn popped in, she said yeah let's go and so this was all off the cuff with very little prep work and just a great person and you can hear that she's had a lot of the same experiences we've had but it is encouraging in that we bring a lot to the table so here's my conversation with lisa lang you had a very interesting career track you are not your typical lawyer in the sense that you didn't come from the JAG Corps and you were starting to tell me your story.
1: Yeah, so after I graduated from college, I knew I wanted to go into the law, but I was not sure that I wanted to do all that you had to do in order to be a lawyer. So I started applying for positions as a paralegal. And even with a bachelor's degree, I couldn't get a job as a paralegal. And I was taking some night classes at a junior college in paralegal studies to increase my chances of being able to get a position as a paralegal. And One night there was a recruiter uh, who had come by and um, what he said to us was that they were looking for, what he said, a, a higher caliber soldier to come in to serve essentially as legal specialists. Within the JAG Corps, we would work with JAG officers, but we wouldn't technically be in the JAG Corps, but we would be serving with them and under them and helping them. And so I ended up enlisting Because I wanted to be able to get some on the job training in the law in order to help get a position, you know, as as a paralegal. But what ended up happening was I ended up really enjoying what it was I was doing. So after having served my time and serving with JAG officers and with their encouragement, what I ended up doing instead was getting out of the military and using my GI Bill to go to law school. And I ended up being like a paralegal at a law firm during the day. And then I went to law school at night.
0: So just to give a time hack, you went into the Army in 1994 and served about just over four years.
1: I actually went in in 1991. Okay. I went in, and I think I was there for about six years. And I think by the time I finished my reserve time, I think I ended up getting out in 1998.
0: Yeah, I just your your LinkedIn yeah. had your last four years, and then yeah. as you said, so your experience in the army that convinced you that yeah, I want to be around the law.
1: Yeah, I mean, what was really nice about the experience that I had, and I, you know, I would be interested to hear, you know, what a JAG officer's experience is, but I think my experience is probably somewhat similar in that as a legal specialist, we were provided training in almost every area of the law that a JAG officer or, a, you know, a, the, the JAG, provide support to soldiers for. So I had the opportunity to try all sorts of different things. I I worked in the claims office, I worked in legal assistance, I worked in crim law. And I so I got a really robust background in terms of the law and it really helped inform me about what I wanted to do when I got out because I was required to go in all of those areas. And then when I went to a duty station, they decided what they wanted to put me in and what the needs were. So it it was a really great experience. And, you know, you, you were talking about the transition from going from the military to going to the civilian side. When I had to apply for positions as a paralegal, it was funny because you can't put on your resume that you helped with an, you know, an Article 32 hearing. I mean, you could, but they would have absolutely no idea what you were talking about. So I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what the equivalencies were to what I was doing in the military. And I was using those words in my resume because I was trying to get people to understand that, you know, I didn't do exactly what it is they did, but I did something that was really so similar that I would have the ability to transition easily from doing it in a military context to a civilian context.
0: What were some of the areas that you enjoyed most while you were on active duty?
1: You know, if that you can is, recall. Yeah, no, it, you know, and, and the reason I'm struggling with that is because I really did enjoy a lot of the different areas. And, you know, a lot of it had less to do with the legal area and more about the people with whom I worked for. So I think I was deployed to Bosnia-Herzegovina for 11 months and i thoroughly enjoyed the JAG officer that i was assigned to support while i was out there and you know when you're in the deployment and i was assigned to the 18th MP brigade i did everything i mean i was doing taxes i, I we were doing civil affairs we were doing administrative law we were doing crim law we were doing whatever it is our unit needed us to do at the time so yeah when you're deployed sometimes especially when you're in the administrative ranks, it can be boring and it's hurry up and wait. But when there were exciting things that happened, there were exciting things that happened. And the other thing that I felt that helped me transition out was not only the discipline, the resilience, but the leadership that I learned. And so I think part of what I enjoyed was not as much the legal work as much as it was some of the other things like the leadership um, that I Feel like i developed as a result of my time in the military
0: so lisa not not to trick you up this is not a trick question but okay. when you say leadership what do you mean by leadership this is a question i've asked that, how do you yeah. quantify leadership as far as what you did in the army which i'm sure okay. you were supervising some troops and how that carried yeah. over into civilian practice
1: yeah and you know and here's what i would say is i don't believe that leadership is not about a title. It's about action and it is about what it is you do. So yes, there were periods of my time in the military where I was actually assigned to lead people, but there were times when I was assigned a task and I was put in charge of getting it done. And to get it done meant that you had to enlist the help of those people who may have been your own rank or sometimes... In my case, I had I had some people who were above my rank. So it's about trying to get people to do what you need them to do in support of an objective. And you don't have to have a title to do it if you exhibit good and solid leadership characteristics.
0: Okay, that's fair. So you finished up law school and you did the paralegal thing. I don't want to blow over that. You did paralegal in the civilian side while you went to law school. Looks like you were a paralegal for what, six years?
1: Yeah, that sounds about right, yeah.
0: And then you became a lawyer at the very firm that you were a senior paralegal for.
1: Yep, yep, yeah, I, I worked there for four years. And, you know, what I came to realize while working at that firm is that I was not cut out to be a litigator. And I don't know that I knew that when I left the firm, I knew that I wasn't happy, but I wasn't sure why. And I came to realize why after a series of moves after leaving the law firm. After that, I went to work for state government and I worked for the attorney general's office. And when I moved to the attorney general's office, I still in large part did litigation. But the real shift for me and what increased my enjoyment of the work that I did was When I was at the attorney general's office, my responsibility was to represent agencies in litigation. And I started to work mostly with one agency, and that was the Kentucky Department of Education. And at some point, they told the attorney general's office, or they asked if they, instead of using the attorney general's office, if they could create their own position within the department, because they felt that it was important that the person that was representing them and providing them legal advice was part of their organization, because that person would have a better understanding of what they did, how they did it, and the people who were doing it. And so They told me this and initially I thought it was just a courtesy to let me know that I would no longer be working with them at the attorney general's office, but what they were really doing was letting me know that they had received permission to create this position and they wanted me to apply for it because they wanted me to take it. And so I ended up going and working with them and that was the first time I had a dual role. I was, yes, I was continuing to finish up the litigation that I had started while I was at the attorney general's office, But a lot of what they asked me to do was, okay, you have resolved a lot of the personnel issues that we've had, we now want you to act more in the capacity of an in-house lawyer and help us to prevent the problems before they happen. And it was that moment that I realized why I wasn't happy in private practice, and why I still didn't feel completely fulfilled when I was at the Attorney General's office, it was because I didn't want to be the litigator. I wanted to be the problem solver, and I wanted to be the person to work collaboratively with an organization to prevent the problems before they happen.
0: So you essentially became a staff judge advocate for the state, uh, Kentucky in this case, the uh, Board of Education. I assume at this point going from the litigation, were you were you drinking from the fire hose and learning all the different facets that came into play with running a, a state education system?
1: Oh, absolutely. And you know what was funny, the thing I say to everybody too is that I really had to learn a different approach because as a litigator, and I even did an article on this, I have it a, a column above the law, and I and it's it's called um, a gladiator no more it was not about the fight. It was about avoiding the fight. It was about learning the system and figuring out how to solve problems in in a way that was not adversarial. We're all in this together. Let's talk about what we need to do together to be able to solve this problem, because it's not about us versus them. It's about us all getting together, trying to achieve an objective.
0: Yeah, and one of, one of the common themes that we have on this podcast is the idea of imposter syndrome, where staff judge advocates or judge advocates in general rather have done a lot of neat things—personnel law, they've done courts martial, they may be prosecution, they've done environmental law, they've done contract advice—but not everybody has that experience. And now we go out into the world with these skills, and they don't necessarily translate very cleanly. Just as you were talking about going from being an enlisted paralegal to right. trying to find a job that we experienced that same thing on the officer side when we, you know, and I've, I've seen this myself going to firms and, and, or businesses and saying, yeah, I don't have, for example, human resources experience as you define it, but I do have a lot of personnel experience and that requires them to trust in a way that a lot of them are not necessarily willing to trust.
1: Yeah. You know what I also find interesting too is that in some ways I find, how do I say this? I I found the military to be beneficial and we have a better understanding of chain of command and organizational structure and how things are supposed to be. And what really fascinated me was to move from being in the military into organizations where there were people in those organizations who didn't have a good sense of how the organization was laid out and how the reporting was supposed to flow and how everybody had a role to play The organization and what was that role? I just feel like in the military, it's like hammered into you. You understand here's what the structure is, here's what everybody's role is within the structure, and this is how each person is supposed to carry out their job in order to achieve the mission. And it was really strange to me to go to civilian organizations where I didn't feel like it was as well defined.
0: Have you hired judge advocates in any of these jobs that you've had before, or just had never had the opportunity?
1: Right, and I'm trying to think if I've ever even encountered anyone who's applied for a position. I can't recall of ever having someone um, apply for the a position, and or having the opportunity to be able to consider somebody for a position. I think, I think that would be kind of cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I I would think that as a judge advocate, you know, looking at different areas, for example, that seeing your military connection, that you would have a little bit better understanding of the diversity and I guess you could call it dynamic learning that they have to do that. Yes, they're not necessarily an expert on maybe federal educational standards, for example, but they can get up to speed because, well, that's how that's the role they're filling. What made you decide to go from the state general education level to what you're doing now, which is at the university level being a council?
1: Yeah. So what ended up happening is I was at the Kentucky Department of Education and my general counsel, when I was an assistant general counsel, they had a board that was attached to the Kentucky Department of Education, and that was the Education Professional Standards Board, and that board was responsible for the education programming certification and discipline of teachers. They were mostly responsible for K-12, but there was part of um, the Education Professional Standards Board that had to do with evaluating programs by universities to train teachers. So that was my first kind of tenuous connection with higher education. And because I had done the work that I had done at the Kentucky Department of Education and then the Education Professional Standards Board, a position came open um, at Kentucky State University. And I was told that my name was on the short list of people. So when the president came in, he was new to the state. He called me up and he said, well, when he started talking to me, I thought for sure he had the wrong number and I was about ready to transfer him down the hall because I thought he was going to want to talk to somebody in the section that had to do with certifying you know, the, the teacher program in the local universities. And he said, no, 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 I want to talk to you. And he said, I'm new to the state. I've talked to a lot of people. They said that you really have an understanding of the educational system. And I was wondering if you'd ever thought about working for a university he invited me to apply. I applied. I got the position. And then I served with um, Kentucky State University for five or six years. And then about a year ago, I moved from Kentucky State to um, Ohio Northern. And I have an interesting military story for you about how I think I ended up here. Yeah, I'd like to hear
0: it. I I was going to ask you what made you go from Kentucky, where you had been for a long time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and to, and to
0: to go to Ohio, which is I looked at the map real quick, uh, in northwest of Columbus, between Columbus and Toledo. Yeah, so what made you go there?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm in Ada. I'm centrally located in the middle of nowhere, and it is a small private university. And you know, I had gotten a recruiter had reached out and and asked me if I was interested in this opportunity, and. There were some things about it. I like to include the fact that Ohio Northern University has a law school and um, we did not at K-State. And part of what I wanted to do at some point was maybe teach a law school class. So I'm teaching a law school class right now. But during my interview, one of the people on the panel was the dean of the law school. And the dean of the law school, when it came to his, his, they were doing round robin questions. And when it came to his turn to ask me a question, Charlie Rose, he said, if you don't mind, can I ask you a personal question? And I was like, sure, go ahead. And he said to me, he said, how long were you in the box? And I knew as soon as he said that he 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 was military, I knew he was military because nobody uses that phrase. I knew what he meant. I knew he meant how long were you in Bosnia-Herzegovina and when. And so he and I, during the middle of the, uh, the interview, started talking. It was like nobody else <laughs> was there. Come to find out he, he was at fifth Corps, I think in in Heidelberg and I was in Mannheim, but he would, we were essentially in the same core and he knew the JAG that I was deployed with. And so he and I started talking about at the time was Captain PJ Perone, And so he and I just started talking in the middle of the interview because we had been in the exact same place at the same time, like 30 years earlier and knew the exact same people yeah, it was it was a connection we've had. And I feel like I've had a connection to Dean Rose ever since I've been here because we have that shared connection. and we and we talk about things in ways that other people don't,
0: yeah. you know, I talked uh, a few weeks ago to Alex Whitaker, who's President of King College down in near Bristol, Tennessee,
1: yeah,
0: who uh, was a Navy jag. And I know that a couple of former Navy Judge Advocates General had gone on to be Dean's wanted. Franklin Pierce, and one at uh, Duquesne and then the Southwest Texas uh, College of Law, but I think you're the first one that I've I've personally have connected with that has, one, wasn't a former Jag, but two, has gone on to be a general counsel for, well, not one, but two universities, so that's, I think, some rarefied air that you're breathing there.
1: Yeah, well, I, you know, I, you know and I've always told people, too, I love that she, Steve's job quote where they talk about you can't connect the dots looking forward, you can only look, or backward, you can only look at them, I, I'm messing up the quote, but you, you but, get what I mean. A yeah. lot of people, when I made the decisions that I made, every single one of them, they thought I'd lost my ever-loving mind, but now as I look back at my career trajectory, to me, it all makes sense, and I am where I am because I was where I was, and I did what I did.
0: The the positions that you've served, both on the enlisted side and as a civilian paralegal, and then rising up through private practice, then through state government and now university, what are some of the advice that you would give judge advocates coming out of the service, whether whether there's somebody that did five years or someone that did 20, trying to make the break uh, on the transition side to whatever they want to do?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think what you have to remember is your experience is valuable and it's just about trying to be able to learn how to translate it. So other people can understand, because I think that um, we bring experience to the table like nobody else does. And when you're in an interview and they want to talk about situations or, you know, sit, uh, what that require leadership, we have so many more experiences to draw on and examples to show about what we're capable of i remember being in bosnia herzegovina and at the time i was only um an e5 a sergeant i only had one private i was responsible for but i ended up being placed in positions nobody my age or my rank would normally be put in so I do think that we have experiences and you really have to sit down and create what I call a story toolbox and I didn't come up with that I've heard other people use it, but you have experiences that can showcase what it is that you can do in situations because the military has prepared you to deal with them. And you just have to embrace the fact that you actually do know what you're doing. You've had great experience and that great experience is going to make you better at the job than most other people who have only ever held a civilian position.
0: So when you bring people on, I'm sure you've had new attorneys come to work for you at Kentucky, for example, when you were in the government there. I assume these were A lot. Some of them were raw or just had specialty in one or two areas that they had to develop their legal portfolio, just like the rest of us.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
0: Is In your opinion, is there some kind of like misunderstanding of what judge advocates are that, you know, for example, that they really are attorneys, that they're members of the bar and graduated real law schools and things like that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, and the thing is, I think they're more resourceful than those people who are working in in, in firms, because I can think about, you know, when you get deployed, you, st- you still have to conduct trials. And, and you still have we, we have to use all of these resources in order to get the same things accomplished. And sometimes we don't have the, some of the tools that you have when you're in private practice to do so. Yeah, I do believe that people don't understand what a judge advocate does. And I don't think that the media has helped much because you had that whole JAG series. I mean, I watch it and I'm like, I don't even know what the heck that is. That is nothing like what I saw the people I work with do.
0: That's 5% Hollywood, I know. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Some of the things that I've heard people uh, have, have relayed to me that when they went looking for work, you had to convince them that, you know, I'm a law school graduate. I sat for a state bar. Our trials, for example, have rules of evidence, and it's just not some kangaroo court that we go out and hang somebody, and so we have a robust practice, and so those are some of the challenges in this day of information with everything available online that you still have an uphill battle educating people about, let alone trying to land that job.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that, is, and that is very true. And, you know, I, what I like to see us be able to do, too, is to create a network of those people who have been in the military, who find themselves in these positions, because it's about access and opportunity and helping to open the door for those people that come after us, because we know and understand what they know and understand, and it should be valued.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think you can appreciate from your time that when you decide to punch out it's not the Army's responsibility. It's not the Navy's focus. It's not the Air Force's mission to help you land that job because they still have their primary mission, which you know, we have so many alumni out there who have served in the military that are that have gone on to successful civilian careers like yourself or Charlie Rose as the dean of the College of Law there at the law school to be able to connect. But it really requires the individual to make those connections. And we do have some things like the Judge Advocates Association, but that requires both the alumnus, yeah. such as yourself, yeah. who was never a judge advocate, or yeah. the people that are currently serving as a judge advocates to go to that organization. Yeah. And so, yeah, there would, would be a great way to, to just connect Former judge advocates who have landed in positions of leadership, or or not, but most of them are most of them, you know, do well and rise up to be able to kind of try to help pull people right. as they come out the door. And I know there's some people that do that on a local level. I know one guy I'm talking to right now, he has brought two or three former judge advocates onto his firm, but you know that's just a drop in the bucket,
1: right? yeah and I remember when I got out too i I did not feel I mean there, there are resources on a, on a post to help you with that transition, but they just i I remember breaking into tears when I got the call telling me that I had gotten this position um, as the paralegal at the law firm, because I was I had my window for re-enlistment closing, and I was on the precipice of re-enlisting, because I did not think that it was possible to find a job. I, I felt like I was killing myself trying to find something, and I could not get it, but I got it right at the last minute, and yeah, there was the resources that were offered on, on post but it would have really helped not to have somebody who is in the army trying to give me resources and and encouragement and telling me which way to go, but to have somebody on the outside who'd been through what I had been through and kind of helped pull me out the other way.
0: What other advice do you have? And and I don't mean to put you on the spot. I mean, but you've seen a lot from a different perspective than a lot of my colleagues uh, have seen as they've left. And, uh, you know, you've been just as successful in your legal practice, and have had a diverse legal practice, just as much as any judge advocate out there has had with with the roles that you've filled.
1: Yeah, and you know, and the thing, the the advice that I would give, don't discount some of. And I hate when they use the phrase "soft skills" because that probably isn't the right word. You know, to be successful as a lawyer there are a lot you you have to have the ability to be resilient to be able to balance home life and work life and there's so many things that we had to do when we were in the military in order to be successful that i think that are, are, are really helpful when you go out into private practice and it's just about trying to be to communicate to people about what your experiences are and why those experiences, you know, aside from the all the, the legal stuff, yes, we need to be judged next to those people that have had the same education that we have and even some of the same experiences from a legal perspective. But what we bring from the military is all of these other things. It's it's the resilience, it's the, the, it's the ability to juggle work and home and to be able to work under adversity and under you know, serious pressure and time constraints. And those are things that I did in the military that are important things that you need to be able to do in a law firm and not everybody is trained to learn how to work in those environments like we are when in the military. You gotta be able to think when you're sleepy. You have to be able to work when you're cold or hungry. there's just so many situations. And, you know, when I've been in interviews, I talk about the kinds of situations that I have been in and I have had to work in and still have performed.
0: Again, I can't remember how we connected, but you have, you have a a prolific online presence. You, you, you comment on a lot of things. How important has that been in your practice? And and as far as being the attorney and holding the position you are now to get that, branding message out on on LinkedIn, for example?
1: Yeah, you know, the thing, and, and this is something I think lawyers in general don't do and really do need to do. I would not have had some of the opportunities that I have had to speak, to write, to present if I wasn't as active as I am on LinkedIn. I used to be of the mindset that, you know, good lawyers just had to keep their heads down and do really good work and people would then therefore know they were good lawyers. But that's not how things work. Sometimes you have to get out there and you have to be able to say, this is who I am, this is what I do, and this is what I believe. And I think that that by creating that brand and that presence, it opens up opportunities that would not necessarily come to you when you keep your head down and just try and do the best work you can do.
0: And for example, your latest is about, it's not a glass ceiling holding women back where you talk about an interesting article by Amy Amy Peachy, and you had unique positions of as a young female army yeah. soldier being in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Have you seen that changing out in where you from your where you stand and your perspective of of women achieving equal? I don't want to say equal pay, but equal right. opportunity,
1: right? And you know, and and so, he, but here is the one thing that I would say is that I feel lucky in that I did not experience that. I am lucky because when I was in the military, all of the JAG officers that I worked with and all of the army surgeons that I worked for did everything they could do to help me and support me and help me. I had no broken run. I don't think I am the rule. I think I am the exception. I think that I had a lot of people, a support network that wanted to see me succeed. I mean, I had a, I remember I had a JAG officer when I worked in the claims office who started having me summarize cases for him. I've I've had so much support from so many people at so many levels, both in encouragement and in letters of recommendation and in opening doors of opportunity. So I am unfortunate that I have not had that situation. And what I try to do by doing what I do is help others. And connect people with opportunities. And that's part of the thing I like about LinkedIn. And even like with my, my law school class, one of the first things I did on the first night is I asked them to let me know, you know, who, who they are and what they're interested in. And what I try and do is connect them with opportunities that I hear about to help them be able to pursue what it is they're looking for. I think we all have a responsibility to be able to remediate it. And I've just been fortunate enough that I haven't experienced it to the degree some others have.
0: A lot of good stuff, Lisa. I don't want to steal all your time, but I will put your LinkedIn profile out there and, okay. and hopefully to encourage some po- folks to reach out to you. Again, I look at your posts now and again, and that's how I found you. and And I didn't realize until I think, I uh, went to invite you that you were not a former JAG, but had been a soldier, enlisted soldier, which like even, even piqued my interest even more. So thank you for making the time available today to speak to me.
1: Sure. Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the JAG Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production.